Hello, I'm M3, and this is my opinion for Tuesday, September 18th, 2018, here today to recap and react to Monday Night Raw last night. It's been a while since I've done one of these podcasts due to the fact that the last couple of weeks there's been some technical issues when it comes to the Anchor app and adding music and sound effects at the end of segments, but all the bugs have been worked out and I'm ready to once again react and opinionate on things going on in the world of wrestling, wrestling and sports. So let's get at it. As Raw was coming off of Hell in the Cell from Sunday night, which I thought was a very well put together show. Yeah, you would have liked to have seen more matches from the Raw side, but overall the pay-per-view was very good. I did not like the fact that they painted Hell in the Cell red, but uh, it was a little something different that they tried. I don't think it really worked out. I, I thought it was more of a distraction than adding uh, some uh, new awe to uh one of the most dangerous matches in the history of wrestling, but it doesn't hurt to always change things up every once in a while. Obviously, the big talk coming out of Hell in a Cell is the ending of the Universal Championship matchup, which, gotta say, I did not see coming. I mean, you had to figure that the other members of the Shield and Braun's pack were gonna get involved in the match somehow, some way. We're going to try and get involved even with the door being locked. But I did not see them bringing back Brock Lesnar already. I thought Brock had already left wrestling for a while to go off and train for a potential UFC heavyweight title fight against Daniel Cormier that seems like it's going to take place on the night before the Super Bowl in February. And instead, he comes back a month after his uh, last appearance, breaks the door down of Hell in a Cell, and beats the crap out of Reigns and Strowman, leading to the first ever no contest in the history of a Hell in a Cell match. Now, it, it did a couple of things here. Number one, we all know Roman's their guy. We all know he's the guy they are building around being the new face of the company, the new John Cena. So they weren't going to take the title off of him. But you also couldn't kill the momentum of Braun Strowman by having him lose this match and become the third guy to lose their money in the bank title shot. Now, yeah, he failed in his cash-in, but he didn't lose the match. He still deserves another opportunity. At the same time, though, it turns both men's ire toward Brock Lesnar, both of them wanting revenge. And that's how Raw began last night. Roman came out, followed by Braun Strowman, and both men wanted to uh, beat the hell out of the beast. Both men wanted their own shot at Brock Lesnar before they were interrupted by acting general manager Braun Strowman, who made an, a rather interesting announcement that I did not see coming. I had not even heard word of this event taking place. And that's that on Friday, November 2nd, WWE is going back to Saudi Arabia for another pay-per-view event. This time around, it will be known as WWE Crown Jewel. And on that day, it will be headlined 
by a, another Universal Championship match, a triple threat match between Roman Reigns, Braun Strowman, and Brock Lesnar for the Universal title. Of, of course, uh, Braun didn't like this. He's, he's telling everybody uh, within the sound of his voice, whether it be Corbin, Roman Reigns, Brock Lesnar, uh, hell, even the fans in the building, that they suck, and the crowd was just eating it up. See, that's the big problem with them turning Braun into a heel. No matter, It's kind of like with Becky Lynch over on SmackDown. No matter what they're having him do, the crowd won't stop cheering for him. They lo- loved him so much over the last year. It's been a love fest for Braun Strowman that you just couldn't kill the love the fans had for him. No matter how much uh, the, you tried with this whole have alliance he now has with Ziggler and McIntyre. It was interesting, Paul Heyman showed up. He was without Brock Lesnar, but he had uh, security guards carry out the door that Lesnar broke off hell in the cell and made it uh, clear that Brock uh, was back for one thing, and that's uh, the Universal Championship. Although... As we would come to find out as uh, the night would go along, Brock may not exactly be chasing Roman Reigns for the Universal Championship because just because he had to defend that crown jewel didn't mean Roman was going to have, was just going to sit around and not defend it for five weeks as Baron Corbin continued to abuse his power and announced that one night after Hell in the Cell, Roman would be defending the Universal title against Baron Corbin himself. As I mentioned earlier, the Shield and Bronze Pack both got involved or attempted to get involved in Hell in the Cell on uh, Sunday, coming off of their great tag team matchup that they had for the tag titles earlier in the night. I'll tell you, that tag team matchup, even though it was Hell in the Cell, even though you had two in Hell in the Cell matches, that tag match stole the show because that thing went on for about 25, 30 minutes, and it got to the point where you were hoping the match would never end. Everybody was hitting uh, their best shots, and both teams uh, continued to show resiliency kicking out. You never uh, thought it was going to end until out of nowhere, Drew McIntyre hits the Claiborne kick on Seth Rollins. Now, after uh, that match and the uh, fight between the two teams on top of the cell, you figured that things were were long but over between uh, these uh, two sides. And the rivalry continued last night in uh, separate singles action. First, being with Dean Ambrose going one-on-one against Drew McIntyre for uh, the first time. And, you know, throughout the early parts of the match, Dean, uh, being the the smaller of the two, worked on McIntyre's leg to try and uh, uh, bring him down to his own size, try and get him uh, a, uh, you know, a little bit even in this fight. And, you know, McIntyre was able to fight through that at times, even uh, limping through uh, the match. But you could tell that they've got big things for Drew McIntyre on the horizon. You got you could tell that 
that they view him as a big star in the long term. Because since he's come back to Monday Night Raw, I don't believe he's been pinned. Since he's aligned himself with Dolph Ziggler, uh, they've gone on to win the tag titles in a controversial fashion. I didn't. I don't believe that the Scottish psychopath has been pinned, and that remained true last night when he uh, was able to catch uh, Dean Ambrose with a claimborn kick out of uh, nowhere of when. Uh, Dean was thrown out of the ring and runs right back in to uh, McIntyre waiting for him to hit the Claiborne uh, kick. And I know that there are some uh, that are saying, oh, no, you can't have all the championships involved in this rivalry, this war between these two alliances. And I will agree on that. They should... The Universal title, Intercontinental title, and tag title should not all be clogged up in this rivalry between the pack and the shield. But I do like how you got this gang warfare going on between these two sides. And no, it continued last night. It's just going to continue going on until we get the super showdown when uh, the two sides meet in a six-man tag team matchup. And who knows, it could go on even past that with the announcement of Roman and Braun match against Brock Lesnar at Crown Jewel so who knows how long uh, this feud could last for there are plenty of times I've brought up over the last several months where there's been rivalries that didn't make any sense that have lasted too long whether it was Bobby Roode versus Elias whether it was Titus Worldwide going up against uh, the Authors of Pain. Well, now we have another such situation. That being the Ascension going up against the newly formed team of Chad Gable and Bobby Roode. The previous two weeks they faced in tag team matches with Gable and Rude getting the victory each time. Last night, there was a singles match. Gable against Victor of the Ascension. Both men had their tag team partners in their corner. And you know, it was a rather quick matchup. Uh, even despite some interference from Connor, Gable was able to... Uh, and dominate Victor throughout the match and, and get uh, a quick victory over him with uh, the rolling bridge German suplex. He does. After the match, though, you, you saw that this could continue for at least another week when Gable and Rude were celebrating. Connor came in the ring and attacked them, uh, taking both men out, maybe signifying that there'll be a singles match between Connor and Bobby Rude next week I got a just a bunch of problems with this 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 feels like just as I mentioned before total time killing space filling segment a a rivalry where you have four of these guys that haven't been used much in uh, recent months how the the ascension has um, been booked so awfully since they came up to the main rosters that it's just good to see them involved in anything 
four ones. Chad Gable's too good of a talent to just be wasted and hidden on main event every week. And the same goes for Bobby Roode. So if this is their excuse to get these guys all on TV, then fine. But I would eventually like to see Chad Gable reunited with his tag team partner, Jason Jordan, when he comes back from injury whenever that would be you you got to figure that at some point with the annoyance a little bit that Gable's been his overexcitement in his teaming with Rude that Bobby Rude's probably going to turn on Chad Gable it, it has the feeling of that you know starting with when Bobby Rude makes his entrance and Chad Gable jumps out as well doing the glorious thing or when they've been teamed together and Gable tags himself in so he can get uh, his finisher in and get the pinfall victory. At some point, Rude's going to feel that Gable's stealing the spotlight from him and turn on him. But if they want these guys in tag team action, I've said it before, get Chad Gable back with Jason Jordan when he's healthy. And with Bobby Rude, pick up a, pick up a phone Call to somewhere in Nashville, Tennessee, whether wherever James Storm may be hanging out. Tell him we got beer and catering. Offer him a contract and have him come to Monday Night Raw and have Beer Money Incorporated on WWE television rather than just throw two guys who have been tag team wrestlers together or tag team wrestlers in the past have them just put together when it really does not make sense. Still two weeks away from Super Showdown in Melbourne, Australia, but I give them a lot of credit, the fact that this show has been built up already better than they did with the greatest Royal Rumble event in Saudi Arabia. That show came off as more or less you know, kind of a pay-per-view version of a house show. Well, this one's got you excited. It it actually has a build up to all the matches that are taking place. It's legitimate rivalries, not just title matches that are seemingly thrown together at the last minute. That includes the main event. For the last time ever, Triple H versus The Undertaker. Because it seems like every week we've had opinions expressed about this match. We've had Triple H or The Undertaker show up uh, discussing their thoughts about the match. He even had that one week when Shawn Michaels appeared and to everyone's surprise, The Undertaker um, made his first appearance on Raw in a year and a half to confront him. Well, last week, Triple H showed up almost seemingly mocking The Undertaker or saying that The Undertaker... uh, Oh, had become too sensitive based off Shawn Michaels' comments and thoughts on the match. Well, of course, The Undertaker was going to react to it. Of course, he was going to have a response and made another another appearance on Raw last night to address uh, those uh, comments made by Triple H, saying that Triple H uh, was uh, delusional himself, uh, the also saying that he wasn't going to be fooled by Shawn Michaels and how oh, he's staying out of this, that 
he's just going to Australia to watch the match from the crowd. He didn't believe that one second. So the Undertaker announced that he was essentially going to have an insurance policy and just made this match even bigger because he said that Triple H is going to have Shawn Michaels in his corner watching his back for the this match. Then he's going to bring his brother, the devil's favorite demon, Kane, with him to be in his corner. And just added an extra level of intrigue to this matchup. It almost feels like the 90s all over again. Now you got DX on one side, the Brothers of Destruction um, paired up on uh, the other side. It would have made the segment all more impactful if Kane had showed up himself. But a couple things here. A, Kane is the mayor of Knoxville, Tennessee. He His real name in real life is Glenn Jacobs. And he did recently win uh, the uh, electoral votes, become mayor of Knoxville, Tennessee. So... You don't know what his schedule is, and if he could have been there, he pro- uh, they probably would have flown him in there to make the segment more impactful, but it'll be good to see him again. Last we saw him was in July when he was taken out by the Bludgeon Brothers, and that's the other thing. They have, still have to play up a little bit that they wrote him out of the storyline with an injured ankle there, so good that they gave time in between that, but I think that... This whole last time ever thing is a, is a little bit uh, of garbage here. I don't like when they put labels like that on this match, whether it be when they faced back at WrestleMania 20, 28 with the end of an era match, especially because those two weren't the only ones part of that era. That era was also made by Shawn Michaels, Stone Cold Rock, Big Show, Kane, Bret Hart. All of those guys were in, involved in making that era. I'm sure I'm forgetting some other names. The other members of uh, DX, Kurt Angle, the, they all had a part in that era. So to just say those two guys were uh, were ending uh, that era was uh, a little too much of a label to uh, put on that. But I don't believe this will be the last time ever that they face because I think this is all building toward the eventual return to the ring of Shawn Michaels. And what I could see happening here is Shawn Michaels and Triple H in a tag team matchup against the Brothers of Destruction, especially if there's a controversial ending to this match in which one of the men on the outside interfere on behalf of the person that they're uh, there to support. So we'll see what happens there, but... So far, so good with the build-up for this main event. Been better than anything they did building up for uh, the greatest Royal Rumble event when they were in Saudi Arabia months ago. A couple of weeks ago, we saw Dana Brooke break off from Titus Worldwide, going on her own now, trying to reestablish herself as a singles competitor, gain some momentum in her career. And since then, she's just continued to pile on loss upon loss in tag matches or singles competition. Last night, she was in a one-on-one match 
against Bailey. And while early on she uh, looked rather impressive, uh, in the end, uh, Bailey uh, was able to put her away with uh, the Bailey to Bailey and get the uh, victory and celebrate with her friend Sasha Banks after the match. Two things here. Number one, I'm not sure what the real direction they have for Dana Brooke here is continuing to pile up losses just maybe to build on frustration and maybe lead to an eventual heel turn because they obviously broke her apart from Titus Worldwide for a reason to be back as a full-time in-ring competitor just not sure what they have planned for her but as far as Bailey and Sasha Banks go can one of them please turn on the other can I I'm not even joking around about this anymore. Can can it, this finally happen? The, this whole, oh, we're back to being best friends thing. The fact that every week where one of them is, the the other is. It's like they're trying so hard for us to forget all the problems they had February through July. I mean, we're not stupid. We're not dumb. And with evolution coming up at the end of October would be a great time to have them get back in the ring against each other and have another singles uh, matchup on a pay-per-view stage like that as they did in NXT a couple of times and stole the show. Not every match at Evolution has to be a, a woman from the present or future going up against a, a woman from the Attitude Era. Not You don't have to have every match be like Trish Stratus versus Alexa Bliss or Lita against Mickie James. You, you can have current members of the women's roster face off in one-on-one matches because that's how we've gotten to this point. That's how we've gotten... Yeah, Trish and Lita open the door for the rest of these women and, you know, ended what was just the divas era where it was not about nothing but being hot and seeing uh who looks the best in a bikini and as a guy there's nothing wrong about that but to see the w- women's evolution over the last couple of years and seeing how hard these women have worked to change everyone's opinion of women's wrestling they should be the the women of today should be featured as much as the pioneers that set them up for uh, this spotlight. And so while it's great to have all of these dream matches put together, you can still have actual feuds built up for uh, that event. And that's why they, they've got to have uh, Bailey versus Sasha Banks take place on that night. One thing that amazed me coming out of Hell in a Cell is the fact that Seth Rollins and Dolph Ziggler were both able to avoid serious injuries on that night. The fact that they weren't even supposed to be in the Hell in a Cell, but they got involved in the main event, got in a fight on top of the cage, and as they were both climbing down, they fought near the top of the cell and wound up knocking the other off through an announce table. It's it's just amazing that they did not suffer 
legitimate injuries. I'm sure they had some real bumps and bruises that they were dealing with and were both able to play off that last night as Dolph Ziggler oh, used his uh, contractually obligated rematch for the Intercontinental Championship. Uh, he was awarded that earlier in the night by Baron Corbin and told that if uh, Seth Rollins couldn't compete, that Seth would... Uh, have to forfeit the championship or if he didn't show up would have to forfeit the title and he did show up that led to some outrage by uh, Dolph Ziggler questioning Baron Corbin's choice uh, to uh, make this match and th throughout you could see Seth was uh, fighting through uh, a back injury suffered from falling off of the cage uh, while Ziggler was slower than usual but both of them managed to uh, put on a halfway decent matchup even with playing up the injuries and in the end uh, Seth Rollins was able to uh, hold on to his uh, Intercontinental Championship now it was shorter than some of the great matches we've seen them in in uh, recent months have but they ha had to play up the injury angles here. You couldn't just have them both walk out there and act like, oh, falling off the cell was no big deal. That's why th there was uh, some question at the time, oh, Seth going for the superplex from the top rope and then to set up with the Falcon Arrow. And Dolph was able to counter that into a roll-up only for Seth to kick out and bounce off the ropes right into the curb stomp. But it, even for the short time it was, was still a, a, a halfway decent Intercontinental title match. Not, not a, anywhere near the level of the matches that they had over the course of the summer when uh, Dolph first won the title or their Iron Man match or when Seth won the title back at uh, SummerSlam, but still a, uh, a very quality match for these two, even when they both had to play up injuries from uh, their falls on Sunday night. Very good performance by Ronda Rousey on Sunday night in her defense of the Raw Women's Championship against Alexa Bliss. After a dominant victory over her at SummerSlam. You had to figure that the rematch was going to be more of a competitive matchup. And the best way to do that was to play up some kind of injury angle for Ronda Rousey. And I, I got to say, she has adapted to being a professional wrestler better coming from UFC than Brock Lesnar has in his second time around. Because A, she works almost every show. And B, with Brock, there's sometimes you think he forgets that it's supposed, well, it's supposed to come off as being real. It's fake. It's, it's uh, scripted. He, he almost treats it like it's a real fight at times you worry about. Well, with Ronda, she's been able to adapt to the WWE uh, style of wrestling very quickly. And now moving on from her rivalry with Alexa Bliss, she was looking to show herself as a fighting champion, as Raw Women's Champion, and was going to come out and declare an open challenge for the Women's uh, Championship last night. 
wanted to show how great a champion she is. And it looked like that challenge was going to be answered on uh, two separate occasions. One with, after making the challenge, her friend Natalia's music went off. And you thought, all right, interesting here. You know, two friends going up against each other for the women's championship. But then as her music continued to play and she didn't come out, you figured, all right, what happened here? Something was up. And that something was the fact that she was attacked backstage by the riot squad who dragged Natalia out to the stage before making their uh, way down to the ring, talking down to Ronda Rousey, saying how they uh, didn't dislike Ronda, they just didn't like her. And declared that they felt the need to take down the uh, women's uh, champion. And it looked like you were going to have a very successful segment here with the Riot Squad finally being given a spotlight, finally being given a uh, big spot where they were going to beat down Ronda Rousey, even though she was fighting them off. Eventually, the numbers game became too much. And I would have liked to have seen that them beat down Ronda the first time she'd been taken out by anybody uh, since coming to WWE and the the three of them standing tall over them. But instead, they had the the Bella Twins who, well, it's always great to see them come down, get involved, even things up and uh, help out Ronda Rousey. And I just thought it was a, a missed spot here because you... You continue to have these opportunities where you can uh, have the Riot Squad stand strong, uh, look like a dominant faction, but then uh, in the end, you instead uh, have their momentum that was possibly built off the segment uh, killed off just so that you could build up a match for Super Super Showdown. Well, instead, you could have had this beatdown this week Ronda try to respond next week against Rousey, and then the Bella Twins get involved to help her out. There's still enough time before Super Showdown that this all could have worked out here. So while the idea was uh, good on its premise, I just think it, it fell flat in what it truly could have accomplished for the Riot Squad. <laughs> Over the last several weeks, there's been a couple times where we've seen some involvement from 205 Live on Monday Night Raw, whether it be a couple of weeks ago when the Raw roster, or at least half the Raw roster, joined in on Braun Strowman, Drew McIntyre, and Dolph Ziggler's attack of the Shield and left them laying at the end of the show. You saw uh, Drew Gulak was part of that beatdown. Or the last couple weeks, how 205 Live general manager Drake Maverick has now taken on the role as the manager for the Authors of Pain, leading them to a couple of squash victories over local jobbers. Well, last night was the the latest in that continued trend, as we saw Bobby Lashley now has a new manager, and it is none other than uh, the man of the hour, Leo Rush, who came out prior to uh, Elias versus Bobby Lashley to interrupt Elias's um, 
most recent attempt at performing for the crowd to hype up his man Lashley and uh, continued to back up uh, that hype by making his way over to the announce table talk up Lashley during his match against uh, the Drifter. Now, as the match was going on, Leo Rush uh, began talking about Kevin Owens' attack on Lashley uh, a couple of weeks ago, and that drew the ire of KO to the point where he came out and confronted Leo Rush over at the announce table. And we, we saw incredible athleticism from Rush here with him throwing the, the chair toward uh, Kevin Owens being able to avoid his initial attack at the table by climbing on the table and jumping over KO, running down the rampway, uh, avoiding uh, the attack from uh, Elias by uh, jumping over him, uh, then doing a backflip off of the ring apron, to then uh, avoiding... uh, Elias's next attack with uh, the the duck under from him, only to eventually be caught by Kevin Owens, but was able to avoid the ring apron power bomb when Lashley grabbed him and uh, pulled him into the ring. And I've got to say, I like this role for Leo Rush. I li- like him getting uh, the spot. It it plays up better for him than it was being. Uh, you know, that, that outspoken braggadocious heel on 205 Live just coming out every week bragging about himself. Now he's got something else to brag about. Now, he's got the athleticism to continue being a, a singles competitor of his own over on 205 Live. But now he can uh, walk walk around bragging that he's the manager of uh, Bobby Lashley. And Lashley needed this because Bobby Lashley, I don't think, was awful on the microphone but definitely needed a hype man there someone that could talk for him almost you know his version of Paul Heyman and someone as outspoken and as charismatic as Leo Rush really does fill that role one night after losing her rematch for the women's championship Alexa Bliss was ready to move on and look toward helping her friends Mickey James and Alicia Fox start to gain some success on Monday Night Raw by getting them in a tag team matchup against Ember Moon, challenging Ember Moon to find a tag team partner. And that tag partner turned out to be none other than Alexa's old friend and uh, heated rival Nia Jax. And even though they, the, the team of James and Fox tried their best to keep Nia out of this matchup by double-teaming Moon throughout, eventually she was able to get the into the match and work over both uh, Mickey James and Alicia Fox uh, very quickly setting up James to get hit by Ember Moon's Eclipse and then uh, Jax was able to finish Fox off with a Samoan drop and get the victory for their team and you know while this match seemed kind of rushed kind of uh, you know bland I don't think it has any long-term significance as far as a rivalry being built out here between these two sides 
I do see this setting up something that a lot of people have been speculating coming to WWE for a long time. Whether you look at Nia teaming up with Ember Moon, you see this alliance that's going on with Alexa Bliss at James and Fox. You've got the Riot Squad. You've got Sasha Banks and Bailey. You look over on SmackDown, you've got women's alliances like uh, the Iconics team of Peyton Royce and Billy Kay. You, you've got uh, the uh, former members of the group known as Absolution with Sonya Deville and Mandy Rose team together. And even as recently having an alliance of Asuka teaming with Naomi. I think this is all building toward eventually there being a women's tag team championship that is shared by the two brands. That no matter who the champions are at a given time, they can go to either brand and defend the women's tag team titles. Something that a lot of people have been hoping for for a long time. And I gotta say, I think the women deserve this. They deserve the opportunity to have their own tag team division, have something more to compete for than just the women's title of each of their brands. And they've built up this evolu- this women's evolution, this women's revolution so much. And it would be great if, say, at Evolution in October, by then they had some kind of concrete plan in place for it. At least to me, it has the outlines of a plan like this. When you see so many of these women's tag teams uh, forming over the last several weeks to go up against heel alliances that there are, it, it would only make sense in uh, the long run to have this. <laughs> I'll finish up today with talking about last night's main event in which Baron Corbin continued to show his abuse of power as acting general manager by one night after Roman Reigns competing inside Hell in a Cell forced Roman Reigns to not only put the Universal Championship on the line but do it in a match against Baron Corbin himself. Feeling that, oh, it's his opportunity to take the title off of him with him uh, beaten and battered from uh, being inside the cell the night before and Corbin being fresh and not having to compete at the uh, pay-per-view. And early on, he was able to take advantage uh, of the champion's injuries, uh, able to outsmart him most of the match until Corbin showed how much of an idiot he truly is by one point throwing a chair at the big dog causing him to get disqualified but you knew that Corbin wasn't just going to settle for the disqualification loss being the uh, acting general manager he was going to continue his abuse of power by restarting the contest as a no DQ match and once that happened you figured that's when all hell was going to break loose because Braun Strowman came out, he was looking to attack Roman Reigns because he told Corbin early in the night that he hoped he beat Roman so it would be easier for him to win the title at Crown Jewel in November. 
You also saw Ziggler and McIntyre um, emerge as they not only look to help Strowman up from being attacked by Roman Reigns, but also try and cost Reigns the match themselves. And that, that led to the rest of the Shield, Rollins and Ambrose coming down trying to even the odds in all of this chaos. What I was surprised about, you have all three members of the pack out there. You've got... Ambrose and Seth Rollins out there to help Roman Reigns. But it's still kind of four and three. I'm surprised we did not see Finn Balor come out looking to attack Baron Corbin because he's still got issues with Corbin dating back to their rivalry this summer. Still wants a rematch from uh, their uh, match a couple weeks ago in which Corbin initially got disqualified, but then restarted the match as a no-DQ match so that he could uh, defeat Finn Balor and break the rules at the same time. So I'm surprised that he was not involved in this. Hell, I'm surprised that Finn Balor wasn't involved in the show at all. But all of these uh, distractions, while it looked like it was going to give... Corbin the opportunity to win the Universal title. In the end, it allowed Reigns enough time to get his uh, wits to him, uh, be able to finally hit the spear and successfully defend his Universal Championship. And I mentioned this earlier. They have got to get some of these titles out of this rivalry. You can't have the Universal title, Intercontinental title, and tag titles all part of this gang of warfare between the Shield and the Pack, I like the rivalry overall. I, uh, I mean, I wasn't a big fan at first of giving Braun Strowman an alliance because I figured he worked better as being the monster amongst men or being a, a one-man army. I didn't want to see them turn him heel. But the the rivalry so far has worked between these two sides. You, you see that they're going to face off at. Super Showdown. You've got to figure that it's going to continue at least through the month of November with the fact that Roman Reigns and Braun Strowman are going to be involved in a match with Brock Lesnar in uh, Saudi Arabia next in two months, should I say. So you, you got to figure that this one could go maybe until the end of uh, 2018 with the stars you have in it. It has the staying power to be able to do that. But at some point, you've got to get the Intercontinental title and the tag titles out of this rivalry. Because we know Roman's going to be Universal Champion for a while. He's their guy. He's the guy they're building up. But you add a little something to the feud if you have the pack cost Seth Rollins the Intercontinental title. And then later on, have the Shield cost the pack the tag team titles. Uh, things, that's just something that they should look into rather than have all of these championships stuck in this one feud. But there's more time to go before we get to that. And it's going to be interesting to see what these two sides do to each other as we continue to get closer and closer to Super Showdown on October 6th. I'm still undecided on whether I'm not, uh, uh, I'm going to wake up at 5 in the morning to watch this if I'm that much of a degenerate to get up that early in the morning to watch professional wrestling. But we'll see what happens on that day. 
for this Tuesday, September 18th, 2018. I'm M3, and that was my opinion. Remember, follow me on Twitter at m 3 as well as check out my other podcast, Keeping It Sports with M3. You can find it either on my Twitter account or on a Facebook facebook.com slash keeping it sports with m3 each and every single week i'll talk to you all again very soon everyone enjoy your night peace